Good morning, this is David Bennett, and this is Bitcoin And, a podcast where I try to find the edge effect between the worlds of Bitcoin, gaming, permaculture, podcasting, and education to gain a better understanding of all. Edge effect is a concept from ecology describing a greater diversity of life where the edges of two systems overlap. While species from either system can be found at the edge, it is important to note there are species in the overlap that exist in neither system, and that is what I seek to uncover. So join me in discovering the variety of things being created as Bitcoin rubs up against other systems. It is 6.04 a.m. Central Standard Time. It's the 23rd of February, 2021. This is episode 371 of Bitcoin and you know what's going on. If you're awake, <coughs> there's no way you could be under this rock. There's just not. Yeah, it's pretty ugly out there. This is the time, ladies and gentlemen, when the friends that were reaching out to you to find out more about Bitcoin are going to be reaching out to you saying, see, I told you so. And if you haven't ridden one of these before, uh, get ready. You, you get ready, man. This shit comes out of the woodwork, man. Just like people that, that you thought, oh, they're finally coming around and they're asking me questions about Bitcoin. Yeah, this is when they're going to turn coat. They will. They'll turn coat and they'll start start giving you shit and say, saying shit like, see, told you so. So it's up to you whether or not you want to bail. Um, I don't. I've been through these too many times. Uh, they don't really affect me all that much. Uh, the only thing that I do question when, when these sell-offs occur is, what are you selling for? I mean, that's the real, honestly, for me, that's the real question is like, what are you selling for? You're, you're selling one of the hardest assets in the history of mankind for something that is guaranteed to lose 15% purchasing power year over year. And I don't get that. I, I just don't, which is, you know, hey man, whatever. If you want, if you want to like deal in fiat and be part of their system, you go right ahead. Because honestly, I don't see it as profit. I see it as you just you just cashed out of any potential gains that you would have had. But hey, you know, if you're in a situation where you have to, hey, you have to. I get it. I've been there. It you know it hurts, but I honestly. We, I mean, we're retracing to prices that we haven't seen 12 days ago. <laughs> and when you think about it from that standpoint, think about 12 days. That's not even two weeks, man. Hell, that's not even, that's not even halfway through Alcoholics Anonymous or, or the, the, like your usual detox when you go into uh, whatever they call that thing, when you're like, you know, trying to get off drugs and alcohol and you go to a place and they give you a bed and, it's like a spa. Anyway, it's like a 20, it's like 28 days or whatever. We're not even halfway through that. So, but a lot of people are going to be feeling a lot of pain. A lot of shit got liquidated. A lot of positions got liquidated. We'll, we'll find out more about it. Um, we're going to do this one. However, glimmer of hope here from, uh, from uh, Jerome Powell. And uh, he, he, uh, it's possible. Uh, it, it's likely, okay, possible. Of course, CoinDesk here is saying that it's likely that it's going to reiterate the uh, Federal Reserve's pro-stimulus stance later today, possibly putting a floor under the Bitcoin price. Amkar Godbold going to tell us about it more from CoinDesk. Prices uh, slumped to a 12-day low. Oh, my God, 12 days. On Tuesday, extending Monday's double-digit fall from record highs. The biggest cryptocurrency by market value reached as low as $45,000, the lowest level since February the 11th. <laughs> well, shit, when you put it that way. <laughs> Having dropped from a record high of 58332 to below 48000 on Monday, according to Coindesk 20 data, Bitcoin looked overbought at record highs and due for correction more so as the cryptocurrency's appeal as inflation hedge was somewhat diluted by the recent rise in inflation adjusted U.S. Treasury yields. That's right. The bond yields have actually been rising as of late. 
probably because everybody else's fiat currency is really starting to feel the pain. The macro picture, however, might bring the return of bullish pressure, as analysts expect Federal Reserve Chair Jerome Powell to tell Congress later today that the central bank is committed to keeping interest rates low. The United States Central Bank is also likely to continue with its liquidity-boosting bond purchase program despite a recent rise in inflation expectations and an improving growth outlook. That will likely push bond yields lower and put a floor under both equities and Bitcoin. Quote, the recent spike in yields suppressed some of the risk on sentiment, which is inevitable, So, but a, I suspect uh, Powell will err to the side of caution and yields will be lower after his semi-annual testimony. Dennis Venukurov, head of research at the London-based prime brokerage Bquant, told Coindesk, quote, in turn, we're expecting risk flows to resume and support upside in BTC with, with it uh, the rest of the market. Stock markets came under pressure on Monday as the U.S. 10-year bond yield reached a 10-month high of 1.39%. Oh, man, that's still really bad. 10 years of 1.39%. Wow, dude. Anyway, that's extending the year-to-date gain over uh, to over 35 basis points. The risk aversion likely helped drag Bitcoin lower. According to CNBC, rising yields could be signaling reflation, an expansion in the level of output of an economy, by using either fiscal or monetary policy or both. The Fed has been trying to reflate the, co- the economy since the March 2020 crash and has pumped trillions of dollars into the system to achieve that goal. As such, one might now expect the Fed to raise rates earlier than expected. However, Powell made it clear last August that the central bank will hold interest rates low for some time after inflation has risen above its 2% target. Further, according to Margaret Yang, a strategist at Daily FX, investors are anticipating a large U.S. fiscal stimulus bill worth $1.9 trillion, which could boost the reflation theme and inflation outlook. Put simply, the inflation-boosting stimulus is unlikely to be scaled back anytime soon, and Bitcoin's long-term bullish case remains intact. At press time, Bitcoin is trading over, well, near 48700 which I don't even know why they even write that in there, because it, all numbers are off the table, like, literally minutes after they're, they're stated, so... Uh, that's why I do the uh, <laughs> that's why I do the vital statistics in the middle of the show. Uh, operator of world's biggest Bitcoin mine is planning a five hundred million dollar IPO. Wow, uh, Northern Data AG is going to do this one, and uh, Andrew Asmakov is going to tell us about it from Decrypt.co. <clears throat> Northern Data AG is in talks with Credit Suisse Group AG on a public listing, Bloomberg reported, citing sources familiar with the matter. The Frankfurt-based firm could reportedly raise capital estimated to be as much as $500 million. Northern Data develops and operates infrastructure solutions with a focus on high-performance computing. These include such areas as Bitcoin mining, blockchain, Internet of Things, artificial intelligence, and big data analytics. The firm's largest facility is located in Rockdale, Texas, and it claims to be the biggest Bitcoin mine in the world. It it was the result of a merger with Louisiana-based Windstone U.S. Incorporated in November back in 2019. Northern Data stock has been trading on Deutsche Börse's Xterra or Extra OTC market since 2015. The firm is backed by a number of high-profile shareholders, including Block One founder Brendan Bloomer and Mike Novogratz of Galaxy Digital. Bloomberg sources said that a potential IPO on a U.S. stock exchange could happen later this year and would increase the company's shareholder base and boost its global profile. No other details are known at this point. As reported by Decrypt, last year, Northern Data partner with, partnered with the world's second largest Bitcoin mining manufacturer, Canaan Incorporated. The two companies intend to collaborate in areas such as blockchain and AI development, as well as data center operations. So there you go. $500 million IPO for Northern Data. And I keep forgetting that it's a Frankfurt company, but the, their largest operation is in Rockdale, Texas, which is good for Rockdale and good for Texas. And also probably good for Northern Data. I mean, insofar as they've got a footprint in Texas, uh, 
of, of sizable nature, which means that they could, if shit gets bad in the EU, they could just pull up stakes at this point. Who knows? Every, lots of people want to move to Texas. If you do, please leave your California bullshit at the door. We're not fucking interested. We're just literally not all that interested. We had to deal with it with the dot-com bubble when a whole bunch of people from California moved out here because everybody was getting rich in the dot-com. <clears throat> and uh, then the bottom fell out of it. And everybody that was from California got stranded. And the next thing you know, Austin, which was one of my favorite towns in the very early 90s, ended up being rude and fast-paced and congested and overpopulated. And I'm like, oh, well, that's just great. That's just freaking awesome. Kraken users demand refunds over flash crash liquidation. So if you haven't heard, Jeff's pal and Kraken are under severe pressure because of a flash crash of Ethereum to almost $700. I think it actually plunged right through 700 just past to like 698 or something like that. And as you know, it was coming off of like 1950 2000-ish kind of prices and we're talking we're talking seconds right we're we're talking seconds and dude and then it came right back up again within seconds Brian Quarmby tell us a little bit more about it from Coin Telegraph uh Kraken users are demanding compensation after violent flash crashes localized to the exchange resulted in leverage trades being liquidated amid the sharp retracements recorded across the crypto markets on February the 22nd. <clears throat> February the 22nd saw the single largest daily candle in the history of both Bitcoin and Ethereum by linear value, with BTC dropping around $9,500 from 57500 while ETH plummeted by 400 from 1940 within the span of 24 hours on Coinbase. However, it appears that a combination of weak buy support and cascading liquidations resulted in particularly heavy losses on Kraken, with BTC falling 22% to less than 45,000, while ETH declined 64% to find support at just 700. The public reaction on subreddit, subreddit r Kraken support has seen many traders voice their frustrations. Some traders are even threatening to organize legal action against the exchange with Reddit user DTK6802 claiming to have lost the majority of their life savings amid the flash crash. And remember what I was telling you about uh, suicide watch numbers being posted? Uh, you're probably going to see some more of them. Quote, I lost most of my life savings and haven't received a response from a human. I'd like, I, I, I think that they would refund or they would lose all their customers. I'm sick to my stomach, but we'll join the lawsuit with plenty of proof screenshots, if not refunded. Mm -hmm. Well, it's hard to tell whether these guys are serious or not because, I mean, come on, it's a Reddit user. You have no proof that something occurred to a Reddit user. However, the fallout appears... For some has extended, sorry, however, the fallout appears for some has extended beyond losses and into debt with a Reddit user claiming their balance indicates they now owe Kraken money as a result of the flash crash. Quote, somehow I now owe them $120. How does an account go into the negative? I don't know, leverage? <laughs> I had plenty of in margin to cover all the other platform drops. But who can cover a 90% bogus drop, they said. Despite calls for compensation for the flash crashes from Kraken's users, social media commentary suggests the exchange will not be refunding traders uh, for their losses. To protect against wholesale liquidations in the event of sudden and localized flash crashes, many crypto derivatives platforms have long used an index price to determine margin calls, while other platforms similarly suffered sharp flash crashes with Ether in particular falling on Nexo. The trading platform has indicated on Twitter that they will refund users for losses incurred during the dip. Liquidations have not been rare amid the recent uh, crypto price volatility. On February the 15th, a roughly 11% drop in the price of Ether caused $1.89 billion worth of liquidations across the broader crypto markets. The majority of liquidations took place on Binance with $336 million worth of Ether and $55 million worth of BTC being wiped from users' balances. 
okay, so these, see, the thing about it is, is that this is not and will not be the last time. Although, well, it may be the last time. It depends on what Kraken does because this one, it's not that it's any more serious than the last time it's happened on Kraken, of which there have been several instances of this type of shit happening on Kraken. However, this time, there's a lot more pissed off people out in the street with pitchforks and torches. They are not freaking happy. I mean, yesterday it was just Jess Powell on Twitter, like trying to mitigate the, the public face of Kraken like all damn day long, trying to defend what happened and all that kind of shit. And I don't know if it's going to play this time because you get enough people pissed off <clears throat> and you may very well just start reaching into your coffers to shut them the hell up. I don't know, but the the like I said, the liquidations that have occurred over yesterday and continuing to occur this morning are not only substantial but life changing to many people who do not take you know the following advice: first, don't trade Bitcoin, or okay, first, don't buy altcoins. Second, the Bitcoin that you decided to only d dabble in, yeah, don't trade that on exchanges. Just don't. You just DCA in and you hold because we know what's happening to the world financial legacy system. Okay, it's on fire. It has been on fire, but now it's starting to accelerate. And no matter what Jerome Powell does, it's the, the fix is in. It's inevitable. So third thing is, if you are going to trade, don't use leverage. That's the stupidest fucking thing that you could ever do is to actually say, okay, I've got one Bitcoin, but I can get leveraged. I can get 2X, so I can trade with two Bitcoin, but I've only got one, and then a liquidation occurs. And all of a sudden, not only have you lost your Bitcoin, but you've lost somebody else's that you borrowed, and you owe that, right? Don't do that shit. That's ridiculous. Even pro traders should not be handling leverage. I mean, unless you're just some, the only pro trader that should be handling leverage is somebody that's got so much money in the bank that they're, what they're playing with ends up being like 1%. And then, yeah, if you want to leverage, that's fine. As long as you don't leverage over what you can uh, uh, pull out of your bank account, right? So if you got 100 Bitcoin and you want to leverage like one Bitcoin against another Bitcoin for a 2X leverage, hey, go ahead because you can always pull out of your Bitcoin stash. But if, if you're not doing, if you don't have that stash back behind you, leverage is not your friend and it never will be your friend. Okay. Just I'm saying, be aware, man. <clears throat> now, Bitcoin startup bottle pay has raised $15 million in seed funding. So they were in the news. I talked about them last week a little bit. Uh, they are back. If you don't know what bottle pay is, it was one of my all time favorite uh, people that were using Lightning Network on Twitter and other social media so that you could literally just add a button like to Twitter and then just hit the hit the little bottle bottle button on somebody's tweet and you could just pay them directly on that tweet. And they got hosed because they were doing, they were basically all across the world and handling all these different markets and they were a UK-based company and then the, the fad of travel rule occurred. <clears throat> and the impetus of that was a whole bunch of people that were doing business in other countries uh, from the from the EU decided to just suspend what they were doing because they weren't sure if what they were doing was falling under the fat of travel rule. So they've reconstituted. They're back. They're only in the UK so far, but we're going to find out wh where their reach is going here by Andrew Asmakov writing for Decrypt.co. UK-based crypto payment startup BottlePay has raised 11 million pounds or $15 million U.S. in seed funding. The round's investors include fund manager Alan Howard, venture capital firm Fintech Collective, and financial services firm NYDIG, as well as current and former Goldman Sachs partners. Tech entrepreneur Phil Doye is, among all, is also among the backers. The seed round follows the launch of the bottle pay service in the United Kingdom earlier this month. The company said it will use the funding to hire new team members with the focus on developing the platform's functionality. Other plans include geographical expansion of the service, quote, 
The payments ecosystem is un- undergoing monumental changes as we move towards a cashless society. Today's consumers want to be able to transact freely and easily without the restrictions of a traditional bank, said Mark Webster, CEO of BottlePay. With this investment, BottlePay will also hope to forget some bitter memories of the past when in December of 2019, the company made the decision to shut down its service rather than become subject to the new European regulations aimed at combating money laundering or rather known as the AMLD5. Last summer, BottlePay announced it would relaunch the platform with new functionality enabling instant payment in conventional currencies and Bitcoin. The company is part of the UK Financial Conduct Authority's Innovation Hub. As a basic cryptocurrency wallet, the BottlePay app is available in both iOS and Android and is designed to integrate with social media platforms such as Twitter, Discord, and Reddit, letting you pay somebody, <clears throat> or rather someone, by using their social media handle. It also, uh, it also allows users to store and transact Bitcoin both on-chain and on the Lightning Network, which is a second-layer scaling solution on top of the Bitcoin Network. The company says that its open payment system that supports Bitcoin will allow people to send, spend, and receive money instantly in any part of the world. Lightning Network support also means that users can execute micropayments and make donations with as little as a penny. Yeah, that was the fun thing about bottle pay back in the in the day. However, if I remember correctly, back in the day, <clears throat> before they closed down, they were not using on-chain. They were using only the Lightning Network, and they were one of the first early adopters of the Lightning Network, and it was beautiful. The thing worked like a charm. It always worked. It was never down. It was, it was the thing of beauty, man, and it was one of my favorite things in the world. <clears throat> and then AMLD5 came down the pipe, and it fucked everything up as want for regulations to always do. Now, if you don't remember this one, and I talked about it last week, Long Blockchain used to be an iced tea company. It used to be Long Island iced tea or something like that. And then they, in the craze of 2017, they changed their name to Long Blockchain. Anyway, so, but they get their stock delisted by the Securities and Exchange Commission, which means that you ain't trading it nowhere, buddy. Matthew DeSalvo <clears throat> tells us about it from Decrypt.co. A former IST company that became a blockchain investment company has had its shares delisted by the Securities and Exchange Commission after failing to file financial updates. Long Blockchain Corporation, previously known as Long Island T-Corp, has not filed a quarterly report since September of 2018, Bloomberg reported today. It is now no longer allowed to trade anywhere. The company used to sell lemonade and non-alcoholic iced tea, but rebranded around the time of the 2017 Bitcoin bull run. It experienced some quick success and its stock pumped by 500%. But the company struggled when the price of Bitcoin crashed and got kicked off of the NASDAQ in 2018. It has since been investigated for alleged foul play by the FBI and the SEC. The SEC's Friday order said that Long Blockchain Corporation's big plan to move to the cryptocurrency world was a failure. Quote, In December of 2017, the company changed its name to LBCC and announced that it was shifting its business operations from soft drink production to activities related to blockchain technology. Quote, its blockchain business never became operational, end quote. Long Blockchain Corp. isn't the only iced tea turned blockchain company. Chinese tea company Urban Tea this month announced it would be moving into the world of blockchain and cryptocurrency mining like its predecessor. It too enjoyed a boost in its stock price following its announcement, jumping 15% on the news. Is it destined for the same fate? (laughs) Investors would no doubt love to be able to read those tea leaves. So it may be that every time a tea company jumps into the space that that's like your, your signal that it's like a global top. I don't know. I'm not all, like I said, I'm just, I'm not all that worried about this stuff. I, I just like, once I began to accept the fact that, Hey, volatility happens when a new asset class is, is go, undergoing price discovery. It became a lot easier to, you know, breathe, sleep, do all the rest of the stuff. Anyway, B, BNY Mellon uh, said that it has hired Fireblocks for Bitcoin custody service. Be careful with that custody service, pals. We'll see after a little bit. Uh, Ian Allison is writing this one for Coindesk. BNY Mellon is working with Fireblocks as part of the banking giant's plans to hold Bitcoin and other crypto assets on clients' behalf, according to three people familiar with the matter. 
The bank said earlier this month it was working with outside partners on the crypto custody play, but did not identify them. With Bitcoin edging its way onto Wall Street, big institutions are looking for ways to accelerate their offerings, creating a bit of a gold rush for crypto native service providers. Banks in Europe have announced partnerships with crypto custody specialists like Switzerland's Medico. BNY Mellon is taking a similar approach and working with multi-party computation shop Fireblocks. It's worth noting that BNY Mellon also has a long-standing partnership with BACT, the crypto trading platform owned by Intercontinental Exchange. Fireblocks and BNY Mellon declined to comment, quote, Fireblocks has been working with BNY Mellon for a long time, said a source. Two sources said Fireblocks is also about to complete another round of financing. The firm closed a $30 million Series B in November of last year. There's no doubt Fireblocks is doing well, having recently announced it was providing custody services to Diem, uh, the Facebook-backed stablecoin consortium formerly known as Libra. BNY Mellon's digital assets custody platform will go live later this year. All right, that's just great. Hey, man, let's run numbers. CNBC.com forward slash futures and commodities has the following news for us. Oil up 0.6% and is coming in at 62.07. Bye, bye, bye. Brent North Sea is up half a point. $65.58 is going to get you a barrel of that. Natural gas swinging low 1.5% to the downside is going to come in at $2.90 for a thousand cubic feet of the smelly stuff. Gold <clears throat> rallying by all of 0.111 of a percent is going to come in at $1,810. Silver is down scant. It's, kind of coming, it's coming in at $28. Platinum not having a good day. It's down over a point to $1,268. Copper is also down scant. Palladium is down the most at 1.36 to the downside. Uh, let's see. What is a uh, live cattle unchanged? Just in case you wanted to know, Dow Futures is up scant, 0.04%. Everything else is down. S&P Futures down 0.3. NASDAQ Futures down point, or actually 1.4. S&P Mini is down a half. Let's talk about real money that just got its ass handed to it. $45,792 is what it's going to cost you to get a Bitcoin. Uh, where's our low? I know I got one here. Oh, actually, I got a high of 46253 Oh, actually, the $45,000 is my low. Everything else is above. And the highest I got is at Bitstamp at 46539 So quite a bit of arbitrage room if you so choose to play that game. A mere 267,000 transactions has taken place over the last 24 hours, which is well below the average transaction uh, transactions being performed per hour. We're down to 11,156 when I normally see well over 1,200. We've had, although in that time, we've had almost, well, 723,000 BTC, whereas normally over the last few weeks, you know, a couple of weeks I've been seeing 400, 500, and yeah, usually around 400 and 500,000 BTC. We're all the way up to 723. So lots of things changing hands, probably due to a whole bunch of traders doing their trading thing. Uh, we have 30,000 BTC being sent on average every hour with the average transaction value being 2.7 BTC and the median transaction value being relatively high at 0.031 BTC or $1,400. Block times are very high. Can you imagine why? 12 minutes and 25 seconds is what it's taken for a block to be produced on average. 1.34 BTC being taken in fees on a per block basis. 153.8 BTC have been taken in all in the last 24 hours. And yes, here it is. The hash rate has dipped by almost 8% and we are back down to 143 exahashes per second, which not too long ago was an all-time high. Just keep perspective, people. Perspective. Doge, like everything else, is taking it on the nose. 4.4 pennies is what it costs to buy a single Dogecoin at this point. And everybody else is getting lunched. Nobody is safe today. I mean, and that's because when Bitcoin 
says that it's okay to go up, all the rest of them go up. When it says it's okay to go down, then everything else goes down. Nothing can do anything without Bitcoin's permission. You really do need to remember that. Okay, so there are a record high number of transactions waiting to clear, 101,000 at this point. <clears throat> and that means that it's gonna take 74 blocks to clear all that out. 7.1% uh, of the supply is being held by corporate treasuries. That ends up being about $60.8 billion. And that means that there's 1,323,935 BTC being held by corporate treasuries. Market capitalization, as you imagine, has now fallen under $1 trillion. And we have also seen a retracement of the Bitcoin versus gold market cap. We are down to 7.25% of gold market cap. And one Bitcoin will buy you 25.2 ounces of gold. There is 18,636,305 BTC in circulation at the present time. And Clark Moody is showing a price of $45,915. We have 1,087 BTC in the Lightning Network, and that has now fallen below $50 million of capacity. We are now at 49, oh no, it just ticked up. We're back at $50.1 million in capacity. That's being run over 9,079 nodes with a total channel number of 38,176, according to Clark Moody's dashboard. The Tor capacity is, has held stable since yesterday. It's still at 53.2%. There are 578 BTC in the Tor side of the Lightning Network, and there are 3,540 3, Tor nodes running the Tor side of the Lightning Network, and that's going to do it for Vitals. Welcome to part two of the morning roundup. We're going to start with Cripple. The news of Cripple is that MoneyGram has dropped Ripple, citing the SEC lawsuit. Now, for those of y'all that don't remember this, one of the things that Cripple or Ripple and XRP and, and Ripple Labs and all, what the way that they always talk about how they're going to replace Bitcoin is they always drag out these companies and say that they're doing business with them. And then you come to find out that it was just a letter that responded to Ripple from the company saying that they're looking into it and that was it. And, but now here we have MoneyGram, which was basically one of their large, their largest thing that they would parade around the room to show that Ripple was all that shit and more. And now MoneyGram has dropped them because of the fact that Ripple is an unregistered security and will be treated as such by the SEC. Mark my words. Will Gottensgen is going to tell us more about it from Decrypt.co. Wire transfer service MoneyGram has suspended its partnership with Ripple Labs in the wake of the SEC's lawsuit against the crypto payments firm. That suit, filed in December, alleged that Ripple's sales of cryptocurrency beginning in 2013 were unregistered security, securities offerings. Yeah, no shit. Major cryptocurrency exchanges such as Coinbase and Binance have since delisted XRP and leading crypto asset manager Grayscale dissolved its XRP-focused trust. XRP was at one point the third largest cryptocurrency by market capitalization, but has dropped in price considerably following the lawsuit. MoneyGram made the announcement Monday in its uh, fourth quarter earnings release, quote, due to the uncertainty concerning their ongoing litigation with the SEC. The company has suspended trading on Ripple's platform, MoneyGram wrote. The company added that it is not planning for any benefit from Ripple market development fees in the first quarter, meaning it doesn't expect any revenue from its Ripple deal this quarter. Representatives from MoneyGram were not immediately available for comment. Ripple, in a statement sent to Decrypt, said it signaled a multi-year contract or signed a multi-year contract in 2019 with MoneyGram that is still in place and not limited to their use of ODL or on-demand liquidity. The Ripple spokesperson added, quote, together we are actively leveraging, exploring alternative use cases. We look forward to finding a path forward with MoneyGram and have confidence that there will be more regulatory clarity in the United States for the use of digital assets and blockchain technology at the end of this lawsuit. <clears throat> Part of the idea behind XRP is that it helps banks move money more efficiently. No, it doesn't. 
Over the years, Ripple has partnered with traditional institutions like Santander Bank and Bank of America to use its software that uses XRP as a liquidity ve- liquidity vehicle. And by the way, Santander and Bank of America don't actually use XRP. That's one of the things that I was telling you about. They always like they'll say, "Here's the letter that we got from Bank of America that proves we're doing business together." And you, if you were to actually be able to read the letter, it would say, "Hi, how you doing? We received your request. We're looking into it." that's that is not a deal okay that does that doesn't make a deal moneygram has been using ripple as a means of facilitating international payments in november of 2019 they completed a 50 million dollar investment in the money transfer services after the sec announced charges against ripple moneygram sorry about that guys (laughs) moneygram Uh, said it would take a wait-and-see approach deferring any questions about the future of the partnership. Yeah, my phone alarm went off. I need to get the kids up. At the time, MoneyGram said it would continue to monitor for any potential impact as developments in the lawsuit evolve. The company stressed at the time, however, that it did not make use of Ripple's on-demand liquidity product or RippleNet for direct transfers of customer funds, digital or otherwise. See, I'm telling you, man. MoneyGram's stock took a nosedive following its earnings statement dropping close to 24%. The company reported earnings of 323.3 million in Q1, which was below the expected 325.7 million dollars. So there you go, Ripple doing its bullshit and getting its ass handed to it as it normally does. Uh, okay, I'm gonna have to continue this after I get all the kids up and get them to school and stuff like that. So I'll see you on the other side, but. But just hang on. Through the magic of of audio editing, I'll be right back. All right, I'm back. Kids are in school. Everything's good. Glad I waited because breaking news, Bitfinex and Tether must stop trading in New York and pay $18.5 million in a fine. (laughs) Yes. Dude, the Tether. So it looks like Tether FUD has been put to bed, which I did not expect. I was quite surprised. I don't need Tether, okay? So I don't defend Tether, nor do I attack Tether. I don't give a shit about Tether, and I never have. I don't need it because I don't trade. The, The only use case that I can see for Tether or USDC is trading, and I don't do that, so I don't really care about either one. However, I did get sick of everybody talking about how Tether was going to kill Bitcoin. And I just, I didn't really see that as happening. Bitcoin was almost destroyed several times before Tether even reared its head. And guess what? It just continuously survives. I don't think Tether has a damn thing to do with Bitcoin survivability. I really don't. But Poor Bitfinext, the guy that uh, basically started all the Tether FUD, or at least was the main proponent of it, rather, uh, is not going to be happy about today's uh, New York Attorney General um, and SEC decision. Here we go from Tim Copeland, uh, writing from uh, 4decrypt.co. New York Attorney General Letitia James has required Bitfinex and Tether to stop trading in New York. According to a statement today, the two firms will pay $18.5 million to settle with the New York Attorney General. Quote, Bitfinex and Tether rec- recklessly and unlawfully covered up massive financial losses to keep their scheme going and protect their bottom line, said Attorney General James, or uh, Letitia James, Quote, uh, Tether's claims that its virtual currency was fully backed by U.S. dollars at all times was a lie. These companies obscured the true risk investors faced and were operated by unlicensed and unregulated individuals and entities dealing in the darkest corners of the financial system. What, like the Federal Reserve? According to the statement, the two firms made false statements about the backing of Tether and the movement of hundreds of millions of dollars between the company to cover up losses when its shadow bank crypto capital had its funds confiscated by the police. The statement referenced the OAG investigation, which it says finds that from mid-2017, Tether had no access to the banking system and did not have reserves to back the Tether in circulation at the time. As a result, Bitfinex and Tether will no longer be allowed to have any trading activity 
activity with citizens of New York. The companies will also need to provide regular reports on business functions, provide clear, providing clear details on their funds held as reserves. Tether must provide public disclosures of the assets backing Tether separated by categories, including any loans to or from affiliated entities. In a statement, Tether has provided its response to the New York Attorney General's findings. The firm said it has not admitted any wrongdoing under the terms of the settlement. Quote, the, the Attorney General's office concluded, in essence, that we could have done better in publicly disclosing these events. Contrary to online speculation, after two and a half years, there was no finding that Tether ever issued Tethers without backing or to manipulate crypto prices, Tether said. Tether acknowledged that it did make the loan highlighted by the New York Attorney General, but that it has since been repaid in full. Tether said that the loan did not prevent the firm from issuing redemptions at any time. So I'm guessing this is all over. I don't know. <clears throat> but I, I'm seeing little effect on the price of, of you know, Bitcoin at this point. Um, I'm looking at it now. We're at a price of 48528 So we did get a lift. But I kind of, honestly, I kind of expected a little bit more of a jump than that. So I don't know if this is, you know, it's going to take the some time for the news to propagate around. Who knows? Maybe we got to wait for Asia morning or something like that. Although most of Asia uh, looks like it may be in a, uh, um, oh, what am I trying to say? In day. Let me see. I, I'd use a day and night world map here to uh, look at this. And it looks like most of Asia is actually in the dark. Okay, so we won't know until early morning hits Japan coast uh, sometime, you know, in hours from now. So anyway, there, that, that's what's going on with the Tether stuff right now. So we'll, we'll have to see how that propagates. $24 million lost in second largest day of DeFi liquidations. Remember we were talking about liquidating. Yeah, well, DeFi follows uh, follows Bitcoin just like all the rest of the shit coins do. And as the shittiest of the shit coin ecosystems on the face of the planet, uh, people got their asses handed to them. The February 22nd crypto market flash crash liquidated more than $24 million worth of DeFi loans with compound users representing more than half of the margin calls. Martin Young is going to tell more about it uh, from Cointelegraph. According to crypto data aggregator DeBank, $13.7 million or nearly 60% of the losses occurred on compound, followed by Aave with $5.4 million worth of liquidations. So... Yeah, that's not good for them. Not not at all. Yesterday's liquidations was the second largest to hit DeFi, tra uh, trailing behind the $93 million in dollars in margin calls that were triggered by a sudden increase in the price of DAI. On November the 26th, 2020, the incident saw DAI spike by 30% on Coinbase Pro, liquidating more than $88 million worth of crypto loan collateral on the protocol. DeBank also reported a decline in total value locked from $44.5 billion to $38.8 billion over the past 24 hours. The 12.8% decline marks the largest single daily drop since the DeFi market shed 15.4% on January the 21st. The liquidations may have been exacerbated by the recent extreme gas fees associated with using the Ethereum mainnet, with traders being quoted up to $30 for simple token transfers. With crypto users racing to outbid each other and ensure their transactions were met, network congestion amid rapidly tumbling prices may have prevented some traders from closing out their positions in time. Don't do this stuff, and you won't have to ever worry about it. The flash crash has had a devastating impact on margin traders as well as DeFi users with Kraken users having also demanded compensation for mass liquidations caused by accelerated crash that saw uh, Ethereum drop to 700 on Kraken while the asset was changing hands for roughly $1,400 on other exchanges. Major corporations that have invested heavily in Bitcoin also saw multi-million dollar drawdowns amid February 22nd's price action that saw $9,000 wiped off the price of BTC just over a few hours. So, yeah, DeFi's just getting wrecked, man. I mean, everybody's getting wrecked. No, Nobody comes out with their hands not covered in blood on this, all right? The only people that come out fairly clean is people like me who don't trade. 
And that doesn't mean that I'm not feeling the pain. Every time I see this, of course it's painful, but it's just, it's part of, it's part of, well, this is welcome to Bitcoin, motherfucker. This is the traditional greeting that you should always give people that are new to Bitcoin is you point to 20% retracements and you say, welcome to Bitcoin, motherfucker, hookers on the left, beers in the fridge on the right, have a good time and enjoy your stay. Because this roller coaster just never seems to stop. If you don't have the stomach for it, dude, you are in the wrong place, man. You're in the wrong place. But you can alleviate that pain by not getting into DeFi lending and leveraging shit on uh, on other you know trading platforms and whatnot like that. It's just kind of ugly. So let's see, what do we got here? Uh, crypto custody platform. Coin goes into insolvency. Coin is spelled K-O-I-N-E. This is a custody platform. So we're going to start this uh, entire thing with not your keys, not your coins. Whoever had coins on coin as a custody platform should be very, very nervous as to what happens next. Okay, so this is Coindesk's Ian Allison uh, writing this morning, London-based crypto custody and settlements infrastructure provider Coin has gone into administration. Coin, whose clients included Bitfinex and brokerage GSEX, was helmed by CEO and Chairman Hugh Hughes. Hugh Hughes. Wow, that's a hell of a name, man. The former CEO of Associate General Securities. Coin had investment commitments with two parties that were due to provide a total of around 15 million pounds at the end of January. Coin co-founder Phil Mochin told Coindesk via email, quote, one of those parties was unable to complete on schedule and so the other party pulled out, Mochin said, quote, a number of Coin's clients offered to invest themselves, but the total sums offered and timing were insufficient to keep the business alive. The firm told Coindesk that any client funds it had held have been returned. Well, we'll have to see if that's actually true. The institutional crypto space is coming of age with banks partnering with startups and fintech platforms searching for acquisition targets, but the tech is complex and expensive to build, and the coming wave of interest is breaking too late for Coin. The administrator of Coin Money LTD is Anthony Batty and Company LLP. Founded back in 2017, the Financial Conduct Authority regulated Coin aimed at aimed to bring the gap between institutions, cryptocurrency exchanges, and trading platforms with an ambitious custody and settlement tech stack. On reflection, building out the next stages of the coin platform proved to be a heavy lift, taking longer and involving more capital than expected, said Mochin, who is now working with Penrose Digital, a neo-bank serving the crypto industry in the EU and the UK. Quote, given the excellent tech and enthusiastic clients, it remains to be seen whether a phoenix will arise from its ashes or whether an investment bank decides to pick up the reins and accelerate itself into the market, Mochin said. So again, they said that they've given back all the stuff that they've custodied. Is that true? I don't know. And none of us do, but I'll, I'll, I'll bet you we'll find out. And I think the way we'll find out is one, of, is one of two ways. Either nothing else will be said about this, and we can be pretty sure that they gave everything back, or this is just going to be a shit show that lights it all on fire again, like the, several exchanges in the past, including, well, Mt. Gox and, and then Quadriga CX. Okay, so this never ends. Be very careful with the Bitcoin that you hold. Do whatever you can to learn how to hold it yourself with your own private keys on your own hardware, whether it be, you know, a node that you're running at home or a hardware wallet. I'm not suggesting any particular brand. However, I would stay away from Ledger. That thing is the most frail, ridiculously frail piece of hardware I've ever seen and if you're using like uh, any kind of uh, operating systems that are older because you have software on them that you don't want to replace, well, you're kind of shit out of luck on being able to upgrade the firmware, which brings us right back to the whole man in the coma situation. If you're in a coma for 10 years, will your hardware wallet or your, the hardware that you're storing your Bitcoin on still be available to you? Um, that 
has been, that's really one of my only concerns at this point with Bitcoin in general. And of course, I don't trade in cryptocurrencies other than the fact that I've got that gigantic bag of doge that I don't give a shit about anymore. Um, <clears throat> it's the, my only, my only concern is what happens if I just don't, I really don't want to touch my, uh, touch any of my Bitcoin. But if I don't touch my Bitcoin, then how am I, you know, then how am I sure that the hardware that I'm using to secure the Bitcoin is going to be robust and, and stable for the years that I don't look at my Bitcoin? Do I have to look at my Bitcoin every day? Is it every other day? Is it every three days? I mean, what does that mean to look at your Bitcoin? These are, honestly, these are kind of questions that I think are important to be not, I mean, they're answerable, but I think they need to be answerable in like a two sentence statement. And we don't have that right now. We, we don't. People will say that we do, but I don't agree. I, I, I think it's a little bit more involved than uh, a two sentence answer. So just, just saying, make sure that you've got your own custody and then ask yourself the questions. What makes you more comfortable having it in your own custody? It should always make you more comfortable having it in your own custody. But while it's there, ask yourself the question, what would make you even more sure that you've really got your Bitcoin? I'm just saying. Uh, Lindsay Lohan is selling a Daft Punk NFT for 15K in Ethereum. Uh, this just brings us to the point that Daft Punk is is no longer. Uh, they announced yesterday that they, they were hanging up their helmets. I never really got into Daft Punk. I've heard a couple of their pieces. I mean, I get it, um, but it's, it's not <clears throat> beyond my comprehension that Daft Punk was wildly popular. And I'm really surprised that they've hung up their robot helmets. I don't know why, but... This bring, also brings us into uh, the situation that's going on with NFTs, but let's read this one first. Newly minted crypto fan Lindsay Lohan is selling a Daft Punk NFT for 15 grand. And while crypto collectibles are designed to be provably authentic, we cannot yet determine if this one is the real deal. And keep that shit in mind as we talk about this. NFTs are non-fungible tokens, one of one digital items on the Ethereum blockchain, which have become a popular medium for visual art over the past year. Paying for an NFT is essentially paying for publicly recorded proof of ownership. Many NFTs are just online images, things that somehow might just, or things that someone might just screenshot and save to a phone. But demonstrable ownership has proved extremely lucrative. In December, the digital artist Beeple sold a collection of digital images for $3.5 million. Lohan's piece, a stylized image of the music duo in their robot suits, suits come courtesy of a user called Daft Punk, who is almost certainly not affiliated with the actual duo of Thomas Bangalter and Guy Manuel de Hamam Christo, but we've asked Rarible for confirmation. According to records on the NFT marketplace Rarible, this Daft Punk user minted editions of some Daft Punk NFTs on Sunday. There are only two distinct images, but each has been minted into a number of editions similar to physical prints, then transferred them into the wallet of big name collectors such as Mark Cuban, Tyga, Soldier Boy, and Beeple. To be clear, Cuban and company didn't pay for the images. The Daft Punk account gave them away, presumably in an attempt to boost his cred and juice sales. And most of the accounts haven't done anything with their newly gifted NFTs because why would they? Lohan is the exception. She's reselling her Daft Punk NFT on the secondary market for 8.8 .8 Ethereum or about 15 grand because, well, why wouldn't she? Also weird is that Daft Punk broke up on Monday morning, which suggests that this NFT creator either got very lucky with their timing or somehow knew about the breakup in advance. There's also the faint but disturbing possibility that Lohan herself knew about the band's breakup. Stranger things have happened. Remember when The Rock knew about the death of Osama bin Laden before it was announced? Actually, I, I didn't know that. I'd never even heard that shit until just now. Holy crap. In any case, no one's biting so far. The highest bid uh, on Lohan's NFT is currently $88. <laughs> 
All right. So <clears throat> yesterday we also saw the following happened in NFT stupidity is that there is a whole, there's somebody or possibly a group of people we don't know, not at least I don't know yet, uh, that have caught taken screenshots or somehow copied uh, the NFT image portion of the NFTs from the punked, whatever they call it. It's those, those things I was talking about yesterday were like that guy that paid like $1.3 million to buy 64 colored pixels. They're like really, really bad art, right? I mean, it's like even worse than CryptoKitties, like way worse than CryptoKitties, like a pixelated like icon looking thing that looks like the head of somebody and they're all different. And this guy paid like 1.3 million. Well, he got hosed because apparently that one and a whole bunch of other ones have been copied and have gone over to another NFT platform that are selling them as NFT originals. I'm telling you, man, the future of art is the same as art's history. It belongs on a wall or on a pedestal that you can walk up to and go look at and address as a physical object. Now, I'm not going to completely shit all over NFTs because there's always going to be somebody who wants to pay for a digital piece of art, I guess. I don't think it's actually worth all that much. And the reason is, is not because it's copyable. It's just because even in the digital realm, this is where blockchain in general as a, as a technology meets the, it meets meat space. And the problem is, is that the only thing that's viable on any blockchain is the token of value that you give to people when they expend their energy to help secure that particular blockchain. And that's why Bitcoin works because the token itself is the token of value that is given to people who secure the entirety of the value of the chain. In the case of an NFT, it's a token, but holding it or the fact that it's, it's, these are one-off deals, there's no way that that thing can actually help support the security of the chain because at any given time, way less than half of the people that are helping to secure the chain give a shit about a pixelated robot looking thing that costs $1.3 million worth of Ethereum. It doesn't make any sense. And it gets even worse when you say things like, I'm going to put my house's deed on the blockchain. Nobody gives a shit about the blockchain. The only thing that's worth a shit about any blockchain is the token of value itself. Every time that you try to marry that with meat space, especially, you're going to get hosed because men with guns can go take physical property, whether it's listed on the blockchain or not. Now we get into the fact that we're back into the digital domain and the same shit's happening. Nobody is going to really care about NFTs later on because at one point or another, it's going to be the token of value that needs to be given value so that that, can, that value can be traded for the people who are securing the chain itself. And I don't see NFTs playing any future role in that. I just don't. And because of that, I, I think it's going to lose its luster a hell of a lot quick, more quick than people actually think is going to happen. Now, Brave Browser's got a problem. <clears throat> this is important to everybody who uses Brave Browser, and I am a user of Brave Browser, but not because of their stupid-ass wallet that has their what bat token or their basic attention token or whatever they call it. I don't use it for that. I use it because their ad block is ballers. I mean, even if I go to like YouTube, nothing, there's no advertisements. I can go anywhere on the web and I get like, no, the only time that I get advertisements is if somebody, uh, somebody's website picks up the fact that I've got ad block. And those are generally speaking places like the New York times and other journal uh, journalistic type publications, but the rest for the rest of them, dude, Brave works beautifully, which is why I use Brave, which is why this is important to me. Brave browser apparently was exposing addresses in Tor mode for months. Coindesk's Benjamin Powers tells us more. The Brave browser, which emphasizes privacy and security, has been leaking data for months, according to security researchers. 
on Friday, Reddit user, and there's just a string of letters and numbers, so I won't read them, posted on a forum that Brave's Tor mode introduced in 2018 was sending requests for .onion domains to DNS resolvers rather than private Tor nodes. A DNS resolver is a server that converts domain names into IP addresses. This means that the .onion sites people search for with the understanding that those searches would be private, were not. In fact, they could be observed by centralized internet service providers or ISPs. Various privacy and security subreddit moderators refused to accept the post initially as they wanted more vetting on the claims. Quote, it was discovered by my partner on my startup as we're working on an ad and BS blocking VPN service. Uh, as well as other things as shown on the site, said this guy's name that's got letters and numbers in it, in a direct message to Coindesk. Quote, he mentioned noting it while observing his outbound DNS traffic on his local network. The findings were quickly confirmed by security researchers on Twitter. Following this, Brave confirmed that they were aware of the issue and pushed a security patch to the browser Friday evening. The leaks had been ongoing for months before Brave became aware of them, said Sean O'Brien, principal researcher at ExpressVPN Digital Security Lab, who conducted further research into the vulnerability and shared it exclusively with Coindesk. And not only were .onion domains requested observable, but so were all domain requests in Tor tabs, meaning that when a website loaded content from YouTube, Google, or Facebook, all of those requests could be observable, even if the content itself was not. An update to ad blocking in Brave Browser introduced a vulnerability that exposed users to the browser's most private feature, Tor Windows and Tabs, said O'Brien. Users of this Tor feature in Brave expected to have their web, the websites they visit hidden to their ISPs, schools, and employers, but that domain information uh, was instead revealed. A DNS leak creates a trail in server logs that can be followed by law enforcement, hackers, or really anyone that has high-level network access. Tor is a browser that enables anonymous communication by directing internet traffic through a large overlay network which conceals a user's location and protects against network surveillance or traffic analysis. Privacy advocates such as Edward Snowden and others have advocated for Tor as a, <clears throat> Tor as a valuable tool for protecting against surveillance. Those using the Tor mode service in the Brave browser expect their traffic to be protected against exactly the sort of DNS server logs that occurred as a result of this leak, which could reveal what websites that they are accessing. Quote, fundamentally, your ISP would know if you had visited .onion websites, and if they track a log of all the websites you visited, they might report you as suspicious, said pseudonymous security researcher Sir Hack in a direct message. The Tor project, <clears throat> makers of the Tor browser, <clears throat> declined to comment for this piece. Quote, Brave warns users that Tor windows and tabs in its browser do not provide the same level of privacy as Tor browser, which is developed directly by the Tor project, said O'Brien. However, this DNS leak was properly described as egregious by Brave's CSO. O'Brien examined each build of the Brave browser dating back to its launch in late 2019. In doing so, he found that the DNS leakage first showed up in a patch for support CNAME ad blocking number 11712, which was introduced to the browser source code on October the 14th, 2020, it was included in the Brave Browser nightly build that same day. The Brave Browser has two versions, a nightly build that is for developers and a stable build that is for ordinary users. <clears throat> Changes made in the nightly build are tested and then eventually incorporated into the stable build. Brave released the update containing the DNS leakage vulnerability to the browser's stable build on November the 20th, 2020. The vulnerability was not reported until January 12th of 2021, according to GitHub via HackerOne. Brave released a fix for it in the nightly build on February the 4th, but guy's name with letters and numbers publicized the issue on Reddit and it was confirmed by other researchers. Brave hadn't issued a fix to the stable build. Um, yeah, so Brave is, is a good, is, it's a good browser, but dude, this, this is egregious. And I, like, cause I use the, the, the Tor tabs on Brave every once in a while. And apparently I might as well just have been doing this shit in ClearNet. I don't know, but 
this does not this does not help the situation that's basically ongoing with Tor as a whole network that just it just keeps getting attacked and attacked and attacked and i don't know i doubt that this was part of the attack i think this is just part of it you know it's just screwing up at the same time that the attacks on tour keep happening but the shit don't help bro it don't help please stop stop and and just help okay anyway that's going to do it for the morning roundup Daily Train Wrecked is brought to you by Peter Schiff, who says Elon Musk replies to Peter Schiff's Bitcoin tweet and then a link to SchiffRadio.com in the Peter Schiff show. It's a shift show, all right. I mean, that's just, dude, that's kind of embarrassing. Elon Musk writes a re, a reply to a tweet and Peter Schiff takes it all the way to radio, his radio show and then announces to the world that Elon Musk has replied to his tweet. I I'm not sure I'm not sure what's more sad, man. I, honestly, I just that's that's oh god. Okay. Well, you you can figure it out for yourself. Uh <laughs> Terrible Joke Corner, on the other hand, is brought to you by Dad Says Jokes. And Dad says, well, Genie says, I I shall grant you three wishes. And I said, well, I wish for a world without lawyers. Done, you have no more wishes. But you said I got three wishes. Sue me. Guess that's a lesson as in, you know, be careful what you wish for because you may just get it. And we just got a settlement on, you know, what's going on with Tether. Is that going to end up being bad or good? I don't know. What's Bitcoin doing right now? Let's just go find out. We're just chilling out sideways at this point. $48,661. We were at the low of, let's see, we plunged right to... $45,000 $45,000 and we're back up, uh, let's see, th- like uh, to 48, well, actually we're coming back up, 48,700 7, 48, now. I don't know. I don't know what the hell's going to happen with the Tether stuff. I mean, is is somebody else going to launch a lawsuit? I don't know, but we'll have to wait and see. But honestly, I think it's good news that we can at least for a little while put the whole Tether thing behind us. And just move on forward because honestly, the tether shit was just getting freaking old, or like really, really old. With all that said, I'll see you on the other side. This has been Bitcoin and, and I'm your host, David Bennett. I hope you enjoyed today's episode and hope to see you again real soon. Have a great day.